with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. And in today's program, we'll talk about the U.S. chips bill, how it disrupts the global semiconductor supply chain, and also OPEC Plus agrees to produce slightly more oil for the September. And now let's begin with our top story. Chinese authorities have criticized a bill passed by the U.S. Congress, saying it will distort the global semiconductor supply chain. The Chinese Commerce Ministry says the U.S. Chips and Science Act contains provisions that restrict the normal activities of related companies in China. The ministry also says the U.S. legislation is a typical differentiated industrial supporting policy with big subsidies providing to the U.S. chip sector. The U.S. Chips and Science Act, a 280 billion U.S. dollar package passed by both houses of Congress, contains over 50 billion U.S. dollars in support for the semiconductor industry. So, for more on this, join us on the line now, Ah Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics, and also Aina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, first, Aina, the U.S. Congress has passed the、uh, 280 billion U.S. dollar. Industry, you know, the policy bill, the Chips and Science Act. Tell us what is this act and what does it stand for? Well, what it stands for is a gradual decrease in、uh, everything that the U.S. says it believes in. It's supposed to be liberal, democratic capitalism. It's repressing voters,、uh, starting wars is hardly liberal, and now capitalism is under attack from within. This is a gross subsidy bill,、uh, basically a giveaway, as Bernie Sanders said, a blank check. Uh, going to industry, supported by industry, surprise, surprise, who are looking to、uh, have their operations subsidized in the United States.、Mm. So, Baocheng, the bill provides more than fifty billion dollars in grants and other incentives for the、uh, semiconductor industry. So, what's the purpose of it, and why is it now? Well, of course, the、uh, entire purpose is to strengthen the U.S. leadership uh, uh, in the frontier technology, which is really. Uh, something that is very significant in point to the future. Um, uh, uh, chips has the、uh, large application in all uh, the uh, industries, and from uh, military uh, to uh, household use,、uh, this is something that's、uh, indispensable. So therefore, uh, uh, the uh, I think the U.S. has a legitimate、uh, idea. As how to boost,、uh, how to boost their domestic industry. However,、uh, there are two major issues that、uh, they need to tackle with. One is that uh, uh, will such uh, sort of uh, uh, strategy be able to really to serve the ultimate objective of、uh, bolstering the U.S.、Uh, competitiveness? Because、uh, you know the. Uh, conditions that are those who receive those subsidies will be refrained from dealing with countries they don't like, like you know, for example, China. So、uh, at least for the next ten years, and will the business、uh, be able to respond uh, more uh, actively to such a sort of uh, uh, calculation? And the other is that uh, uh, is it a beginning of distortion of a free market theory that is there to Uh, make 
the U.S. Uh, strong as you know they are. So uh, that's why uh, this bill has been uh, delayed for a long time and debated. But right now, it seems that uh, uh, the U.S. has a consensus over, uh, first of all, their own domestic situation. And there is a sense of urgency to uh, beef up their competitiveness. And the other is that uh, uh, they do see that uh, China is a rising uh, competitor. Uh, actually, that's really started from uh, made in China to, uh, 2025. That's really alerted the uh, the U.S. Uh, Congress people. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see if you know it really works. But of course, you know, uh, one thing I would say that uh, to to uh, to support uh, on the upper end of uh, this uh, supply chain uh, is something that can be helpful. But uh, simply by uh, interfering into the manufacturing sector, into the marketing sector, uh, that's something that uh, they need really to guard against because that's going to uh, you know send a very uh, bad signal. To a market-driven economy. Mm. So, Aina, so what do you make of the U.S. strategy? And for the uh, semiconductor, the U.S. lawmakers have debated over different versions of the bipartisan legislation for more than a year. So, what are the arguments from both sides? Well, on, on one side, you have the industry that was pushing uh, special interests in America are very, very strong. And they go to their congressmen, and their senators and said, we really want you to support this bill. They'll give the reasons that we're falling behind. We need subsidies because everyone else is getting subsidies and all this type of thing. So it was held up in Congress, mainly because the Republicans uh, said, look, we, we don't like it. There were two parts to it. One was that... Uh, the uh, Mitch McConnell didn't like the fact that it had some additional uh, provisions for uh, climate change uh, action, and he didn't like that, and he wanted those stripped out. In the end, though, uh, they, uh, you know, it was split between fiscal hawks who said, "Look, you know, this is a giveaway. Or, you know, why are we doing this? We already have a massive uh, deficit that grew in eight years from twenty trillion to thirty trillion, adding more onto that with no no." You know, idea how it's going to be paid for. Now, remember, although this is being passed, there's no appropriations for it. That'll have to be passed later. So, you know, when it comes to uh, figuring out how everything's going to be paid for, it's not clear that this is going to make it through. Uh, Enabling legislation does not mean that you can actually pay for it. Mm -hmm. So the big change came over is that they they had uh, Secretary Raimondo come in and give them a song and dance about how American defense chips are being made and packaged in Asia. Hmm. And that, you know, drew a collective, uh, you know, whoa, we can't have that because the military technology being done overseas. So that was one of the things. But one of the uh, things that is not being talked about enough is that, yeah, sure, they say they want to go after China and, and that this is the competitor. But who are they really going after? It's South Korea, Japan, Europe. All countries that are having to respond to these subsidies that the U.S. is going to put in. So this is the market distortion. They're basically using China as a way of enriching private corporations who are doing just fine Mm -hmm. uh, as a means of, you know, let's say pork barreling, making sure that they take care of their companies. But it's not going to result in anything spectacular because if every country subsidizes, you have equilibrium. Mm-hmm. There's no ch- difference. Uh, 
Mm. So this is not going to be a big change the way they think it is. So Anna, how do you think will the market react to such government interference measures? And what's your expectation of the bill's effectiveness to bring the chip manufacturing back to the U.S.? It's not going to come back to the U.S. I mean, you might get some uh, esoteric ones. Intel is boasting about putting $20 billion into Ohio for a chip plant there. But as I said, uh, every country is going to respond to this by putting in their own subsidy. So it's, it's, not, it's not going to be this, um, you know, big hallelujah, you know, uh, thing for the U.S. And even if the U.S. does put them in, uh, they're talking about 3,000 jobs. Uh, in uh, Ohio for this $20 billion plant. The fact is, the wages that are being paid there are far in excess of what they would be paid in Taiwan or uh, in uh, Japan, South Korea, or China. Uh, Europe would probably be about the same. So that means that the chips produced at that plant, to the extent that there's a labor quotient, will be much higher. So that will affect their competitiveness. Mm. Uh, I think really what you're going to see in the future is this move towards, you know, just saying, look, if you sell in the U.S., you have to make it in the U.S. And this is exactly the opposite of free market capitalism. This is defensive capitalism, and it it just it, it doesn't work. Uh, the global supply chain has seen a rise in incomes, a rise in prosperity across the world based on countries doing what they do best and putting it all together and saving the consumers money. This is the exact opposite. We're going backwards in time. Mm. And Bao Cheng, so why is Biden so eager to move forward with this bill? And how does it fit in with his overall plan for American manufacturing? As a top political leader, of course, you know, they need to do something to beef up uh, the U.S. competitiveness. So that's uh, there's nothing wrong with the overall strategy to map it out. But uh, again, because he's the politician and uh, he just wanted to uh, to show that, uh, you know, the government does care about jobs, does care about the industry and uh, uh, the uh, incentive aside. The operation doesn't really help the uh, entire situation because, uh, uh, as Anna mentioned, that uh, it is really uh, the market that really decides. For uh, for a simple example, that uh, you know, if you have, you can be given a free meal to uh, to eat in a particular restaurant, but for the next ten years, and I have to decide which restaurant you cannot really go to. So you know, uh, nobody w- would really you know, mix such a sort of situations, totally rely on, you know, one time uh, uh, the uh, uh, either tax credit or uh, some uh, sort of cash subsidies. So that's uh, something that the uh, businesses don't like. And the other is that, uh, okay, you know, uh, businesses calculate uh, global market shares. Uh, they have already been losing a lot more market share uh, simply by restraining some of the companies uh, to deal with entity listed uh, companies in in China. So this way they're going to lose more because the government feels more legitimate in controlling the uh, export destination of those uh, uh, manufacturers. And uh, the other, of course, you know, they can always, you know, sell such sort of a pitch that, uh, well, this is very crucial to to the United States. We have been losing our uh, control you know, from 37% to now only 20, uh, only 12%. So 
But as a matter of fact, uh, if you say this is really strategic for uh, the U.S. industries and many others can also uh, be part of it. So how they can really stretch the envelope to uh, simply to really to have uh, better control uh, over businesses. So this is uh, something of their intention, which is not really in line with what is expected by the business community. Businesses need more certainty ahead. So politicians are there simply to stir the water instead of really steering the boat. Mm-hmm. And so, Ina, the CHIPS Act is actually part of a larger pieces of legislation known in the House as the American Competes Act and in the Senate as USICA. So both the House and Senate previously approved the bills, but uh, what happened to them? Why have they been stored for many years? Well, funding, uh, as I said, appropriations uh, comes down to who's who's going to put the money behind these. But let, let, let me uh, just reemphasize some points that uh, Professor Liu has made. It said markets were up both in the U.S. and China. Why? Because the market sees that the U.S. is putting money in. Uh, these companies are going to do well. They're going to artificially increase their bottom line by the subsidies that the U.S. is giving them. At the same time, they're looking at, at China and they say, well, China is now in a situation where it has to uh, invest money in developing chips and its own technology because it's going to be denied getting anything from the U.S. They're using the emotional bang on China card to and actually go after the people, they, the countries that they have identified as their, quote, uh, allies and uh, people who stand for similar values. And it's, it's this kind of hypocrisy is not going to go over well in these other countries. Mm-hmm. So, Baochong, how do American chip makers look at the subsidies with strings or conditions attached? For those chip companies that have businesses in China, does it mean that they have to take side between U.S. and China? Well, look at the situation. Businesses, when they make a business plan, they will take all um, matters into consideration. Where is the income and where is the expenditure? Okay, so, uh, you know, the uh, CHIPS bill does give them, uh, you know, some sort of income if uh, if their application is successful. But... uh, uh, you know, on the other hand, what would be ex- the expected uh, revenue? So uh, China offers a, uh, the biggest market with uh, uh, on, on normal years uh, with uh, 300 billion U.S. dollars worth of the entire market. And uh, uh, so, therefore, by losing uh, the uh, uh, by losing a dollar and picking a dime from the federal government, you know, does it really pay off? So uh, that's one part of the calculation. And the other is that, uh, you know, uh, more fundamentally, so this will uh, push China to uh, gear up its self-sufficiency program. And therefore, uh, when China feels, uh, you know, rather comfortable, simply, uh, you know, have uh, ready supply, they do not have such a strong motivation to do it on their own. But now China is not being cornered to beef up their self-sufficiency. Uh, uh, that will mean that the U.S. chip makers will lose the market forever. Because mm-hmm. when China is there to have a breakthrough, yes, China will have to pay a lot more price, you know, from the cost to, uh, uh, to mail operation and to, to the information asymmetry, etc. But eventually, history has time and again proven that uh, China is able to have its breakthrough at any cost. So therefore, 
this is this is going to you know uh, and the, uh, the, the market attractiveness to uh, the U.S. chip makers, and then again, they will come back and, and complain, okay, you know, it is you who really tempted me, uh, you know, with a small token of money to lose the big market forever. So mm -hmm. therefore, politicians will have to be aware, you know, what type of a legacy they're going to create with such a sort of a bill. So, Aina, so what do you think? What impact will the legislation have on the Chinese semiconductor companies? Should China be concerned about the U.S. efforts to counter China in this uh, industry? Short term, yes. I mean, there are deficits in uh, China's chip-making uh, ability, but we're on the verge of a new kind of uh, chip design, probably quantum. Uh, it's going to use completely different kinds of technologies. And I think China is putting a tremendous amount of effort into that next step. But I completely agree with uh, Du Baochong. I mean, this is just uh, killing yourself, um, estranging a market that's that large uh, on the basis that you think that uh, you should be doing everything at home. Uh, it's not going to work. Let's say they build 15 uh, chip plants. Who are they going to sell to? The chips are not competitive, and they've lost major markets. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the OPEC Plus agrees to produce slightly more oil for September. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. OPEC Plus countries have agreed to a modest boost in oil productions aimed at lowering prices. But the bloc will only raise output by 100,000 barrels a day for September. And that's the smallest increase since the quotas were introduced 40 years ago. Many experts say it will just make no difference. For July and August, OPEC Plus had agreed to produce 650,000 barrels more a day. But many countries have fallen short on that pledge. So, Aina, first of all, OPEC Plus said it would produce an additional 100,000 barrels a day in September. So why is this decision even after Biden's Middle East trip in July? Well, quite frankly, it's, it, it's meaningless when you're using 97 million barrels a day. I mean, 100,000 doesn't mean anything. And the, although the markets, there was a mar modest decrease uh, the high in the market over the last few months has been 130. It's now down to, uh, it was 91 for West Texas uh, Intermediate, and it was uh, 97 for Brent Crude. Uh, yeah, that's better. Uh, gasoline prices, obviously, this is a political consideration for, uh, uh, for uh, Biden. It has gone down from a high of five to about $4.16. It's still way, way too high. It's not going to save him politically. Uh, so, I mean, this is uh, a non-event. I think a lot of uh, people are looking at is what is going to happen next uh, uh, winter, uh, mm. how much oil is going to be needed uh, just to heat homes and things like that. And the, the last part is, you know, what is going to happen to the economy? We're looking in 
facing into the teeth of a global recession. Uh, you've already seen massive downgrades uh, almost on a monthly basis by you know, the World Bank, the IMF, etc. Um, and you know that is going to affect how much oil is out there. And this is what OPEC Plus is looking at. They do not want to ramp up production when they know that uh, within a few months after the winter time next time this year or next spring, you're going to see a, a decrease. And as a result, that extra production doesn't mean anything. It's just uh, extra costs thrown away. So they're, they're playing very safe. They want to keep the oil price as high as they possibly can without wrecking the world economy uh, until such time as uh, they're forced to make decreases because of the economic recession. Mm -hmm. And Bao Cheng, so what's the market reaction? How do you explain it? I think 100,000 more barrels, which everyone said wasn't enough, but uh, I saw that oil prices bounced down on the day. So why is that? Well, of course, the, this is a very sensitive market, and now as uh, uh, they're, they're uh, there to grab any type of positive signals, at least it is really a positive move, although it doesn't really uh, have a lot more significance. So, uh, after all, you know, from the uh, oil exporting countries' calculation, if I, I'm sitting on it, I wouldn't really substantially increase it because, you know, Eventually, it is really the revenue. When the price is high, uh, why should I uh, produce more? So it also means that the exporting countries, at least they also have a consensus uh, uh, that is being built. If, uh, you know, if there is a black horse that is really being motivated to uh, glut the market with more oil, and the other will follow. It seems that uh, uh, this type of... Uh, uh, consensus is not really broken by the United States, despite of their efforts. Baocheng, and we are seeing the world's largest oil and gas refiners like BP, like uh, ExxonMobil, etc., etc., they all reported record profits for the second quarter. So prices are high, oil companies making a lot of money. What's the issue here? Yeah, for oil companies and even OPEC, uh, you know, countries also that if they can really make a lot of more money by keeping this level of uh, sales, you know, why should they uh, produce more and then you know glut the market? Uh, eventually, uh, the profit rate is going to be lowered, and of course they are going to uh, also going to bet uh, if uh, the uh, Ukraine cr uh, crisis shall continue well into the winter. And then they will be able to have more bargaining power with, uh, you know, within this market. And so businesses, they do not really very much respond to the uh, political uh, missions that are, uh, that are, they are being preached with. And also that uh, uh, despite of all the efforts of uh, uh, Joe Biden's, you know, swerving trips, etc., and they stand very firm on their own uh, b uh, business interest. So the uh, the same is applies for those countries. So uh, you know this is now the the basic status quo. Mm, so Aina, we also have this on the backdrop of interest rate hikes in the United States because the Fed wants to slow the economy down. So if oil prices are pulling back, does that mean the Fed is successful in slowing the economy down and therefore won't have to increase the rates as much? No, it's it's. Uh, I'm going to agree with uh, Lu Baochong. There's politics has its own logic, and it has to do with emotion. 
Then there's the politics of economics and companies that has to do well, with the markets themselves. And, and right now they're not connected. The, the Fed is betting that they are going to, you know, put the United States and probably the world into a recession, but they're going to build up enough uh, interest rates so that they can reinflate the economy at some point in the future when they uh, things have been revalued and it's it, they think it's ready to uh, to take off again. Mm. But the fact is that uh, both uh, energy, logistics, and food, all right, they're not something that you can control with uh, you know fiscal and monetary policy. So they're completely off track here on this. And what they're going to do is have a long period of stagflation where economic activity drops, but prices continue to go up. And this is going to be miserable, not only for U.S. and Europe, but also all of the developing countries. So they're going to have to be trying. They don't have money and they're going to be pressed to pay back in dollars, which are now higher, uh, that they don't have. And when they don't pay, there's going to be real consequences in terms of the banks, uh, the financial institutions. There's, there's really right now no one paying any attention to this in terms of a, creating a massive bailout plan or some, uh, delaying these payments that they're not going to make. You know, if it's, it's a question of feeding my people and running my economy or paying uh, debts for something, uh, you know, obviously, you know exactly, you know, what order they're going to they're going to do it. In. And you see this with Sri Lanka and you're going to start seeing it with more and more countries. So at this juncture, uh, the Fed is completely often, you know, political la la land. They're hoping they can do something. They're constrained because they do not have the tools necessary to address this problem. They have a scalpel and this is something that needs a bulldozer and they just don't have the horsepower. Mm. And Anna, so there is a big debate on whether the U.S. economy is in recession. So what's your take on that? And what indicators should we watch? Well, I mean, you know, I, I'm amazed by Janet Yellen. I was very uh, impressed when earlier in the year she talked about we're driving towards a recession and she said all that. Now she's pretending that, oh, well, who knows what they're in a recession? You know, yeah, we've had two down quarters. Uh, there's no relief in sight. So this idea that somehow we're not in a recession is just pure political malarkey. They're just making it up to you know, hopefully things will get better because people have more confidence. Right mm -hmm. now, no one in America has confidence. So over 70 percent of the people think that inflation is, is you know, rampant. It's hurting them. It's their number one issue. And yet you have politicians talking about fiscal and monetary policy or visiting other countries and causing trouble. This is not addressing the issue. And they're, they're doing this purely because they don't have an answer. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.